God, we invite you now to open our hearts, open our eyes and ears. For some of us, God, this is uh, another Christmas Eve and a long series of Christmas Eves. God, for some of us, uh, we've never met you before in a personal way. Maybe we actually typically attend church on Christmas Eve, but never met you before personally. Maybe for some, this is their first Christmas Eve as a new Christian. God, no matter where we're at in this place, we have a desperate need for you, a longing for just a divine touch. We know it in the depths of our heart. So God, call men and women to yourself even now. Encourage and strengthen the Christian in the place as well. We pray these things in the name of Christ. God's people said, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I really love this time of year. I love Christmas trees. I love Christmas goodies a lot. I love Christmas songs, like the songs we sang tonight. I even, uh, I wrote my sermon yesterday at Tim Hortons. I even love the Christmas cups they give you at Tim Hortons. I love that. I love this time of year. Uh, so I just love the kind of the Christmas traditions, but there's one Christmas tradition, there's one Christmas trend that I really don't like, and it's kind of a trend that seems to get worse every year, and I feel like really robs us of the true joy of the season. And here's the trend that I have a little bit of a bone to pick with. It seems that our culture, year after year, pictures the Christmas story as less and less real. Have you noticed that? And it's not so much that they reject that a historical Jesus existed and was born in Bethlehem and grew up in Nazareth. Not so much that. It's more that we paint this picture that's really kind of a plastic parody of the real thing. It's a sugar-coated reality. It's a cartoonized infant scene. It's, it's, it's not the real Christmas Consider some of the popular images of baby Jesus, for example, that you might see during this time of year. One of them is up here on the wall behind me on my right, most of your left. If you can see that, there's a little baby Jesus in a manger that kind of looks like Shirley Temple, to be honest with you. Um, really kind of golden locks, a lot like most people I know from the Middle East, blonde hair. Um, a halo and, and a lily white diaper that Mary obviously would not have had. Well, what about this one up here on the screen? You can see it up on the screens behind me or up on the TV here beside me. You see the shepherds and Joseph and Mary gathered around the manger and Jesus is glowing. This one I like to call radioactive Jesus. This is what is going on here. He's made entirely of divine radioactive material. And it makes sense to me now why the shepherds and Joseph and Mary are gathered around the cradle, or the manger in this case, uh, because it was a cold winter's night, as the song says, so they have to warm themselves from his divine radioactive glow. What about this one? This one, this one I like to call creepy adult baby Jesus. Um, <laughs> Don't come up to me afterwards and tell me about Byzantine art, I know. Don't come up to me and tell me about Van Gogh, I know. I know why he's painted as an adult, but it's still creepy to me. And it still robs us of the reality of Christmas because Jesus was not born as a 30-year-old miniature. That's not how this works. Creepy adult baby Jesus, obviously his hand is re ready to bless. And he has better hair than Shirley Temple Jesus over there, so he would have made a good TV preacher. Uh, what about this one on the screen here? This one I don't even know what to do with. This is an absolute mess, to be honest with you. I don't know what to do. This is an abomination. If that does not rob you of the reality of Christmas, I don't know what does. As one of my favorite characters on The Simpsons would say, there are so many things wrong with that picture, I'm not sure which part to correct first. Here's the point. 
For centuries, we have been adding to, subtracting from, and or polishing up the Christmas story to make it a little bit more palatable to ourselves. And as a result, we have robbed Christmas of its impact and weight. Whether or not you believe the accounts of the birth narrative from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels in the New Testament of the Bible, is beside the point because those are the only accounts we have of the birth of Christ. They are the accounts. And each author of all four of those Gospels wants to make it painfully clear to you and me, this is a very real situation that Jesus entered into. It is not cartoonized. It's not sugar-coated. It's not plastic. It is real. Let's take Luke's narrative, for example, from Luke chapter 2. It's up here on the screen. We're going to read it together. Look how real this thing is. Luke says that in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. He's taking a census. He says this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Caesars weren't elected officials. Okay? This is the ruler of the known world, and he got there by way of violence and propaganda. During his reign, he insisted that all the world register so that he could excise more taxes. In other words, this is a money-hungry tyrant that issued a decree that a census be taken. On top of that, the provincial governor, when Jesus was born, was an mon- egomaniacal, masochistic monster named King Herod that issued a decree that all Hebrew boys under the age of two be slaughtered. In other words, Jesus was born under real oppression, real tyranny and even real cruelty as a matter of fact Jesus and his family had to run as refugees to Egypt in order to escape the reality of the tyranny of the region that they were living in keep reading says that each went to be registered all went to be registered each to his own town now Joseph and Mary lived in a city called city Nazareth really isn't even on most provincial maps from that era so city is a real stretch so they live in Nazareth in the north and they had to take a very real journey to Bethlehem in the south because you had to go be registered in your hometown Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth but they Joseph was born in Bethlehem so 111 kilometers from Nazareth to Bethlehem and Mary rode a She didn't ride a donkey. The Bible doesn't say that. See, we've cartoonized this thing. The journey was likely made on on foot. It was a very treacherous, very difficult journey that they made. Keep going. Verse 4 says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, this is the province he's living in, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, next promise, or next province, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. In other words, what Luke is telling us is Jesus did not magically appear out of nowhere as a 30-year-old and start doing miracles and teaching people stuff. He came from a very real ancestry. He had very real values a very real culture that really meant a great deal to him and to his mission and message on the planet. The Bible tracks Jesus' ancestry all the way back to King David. He didn't just poof out of nowhere. He came from somewhere. Keep going. Joseph went to Bethlehem to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, I find this fascinating because Luke, the author of of the, the New Testament Gospel of Luke, could have just said, Joseph went to Bethlehem to be registered with Mary, who was with child. 
but he doesn't. He makes a side note here and he says, marry his betrothed. In other words, they were not married yet, but Mary was pregnant. They were just betrothed to one another. They were just engaged. This is a very real predicament that Mary is in. She's an unwed, expecting mother. She might have even been in very real danger because being an unwed mother in first century Hebrew culture wasn't exactly something to celebrate. And the Gospels don't tell us exactly how old Mary was when she has, had Jesus, but most Hebrew girls that were engaged were about 12 to 16 years old. This is a very young girl who likely felt very real fear, very real anxiety, and real stress. She might have even received very real threats because she was a an expecting mom who was not yet married. Verse six, and while they were there, uh, the time, and this is in Bethlehem now, the time came for her to give birth. Keep going. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths. I, I could just go off on swaddling cloths forever, to be honest with you, and laid, in a manger, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the Holiday Inn. Okay, this is not a Holiday Inn. Okay, so the Greek word for in there is katilama, and it literally means guest room. Because in those days when people traveled, they usually stayed with their family in a guest room of a home. Or when they were traveling as a large caravan, they would build a temporary fence and they would sleep with their animals inside of that temporary fence. Now, some of you may have been in holiday inns where it smelt like animals, but this is not one of those inns, okay? Whether it was a guest room in somebody's home or whether it was a temporary fenced-in area where their whole traveling caravan stayed together, in either case, there was no room for Joseph and pregnant Mary. Perhaps their own family in Bethlehem wouldn't allow them to stay in their guest room. Perhaps the caravan they had traveled with didn't feel like they were valuable enough. In either case, Joseph and Mary faced a very real challenge. Mary's water has broken, and they have no place to go. So under an oppressive government... The result of an unwanted pregnancy after a long journey and having faced exclusion from their community, these two young teenagers find what scholars assume is a cave and Mary has a baby. And moms, epidurals had not been invented yet. This is a natural birth, likely in a cave. Does it get any grittier than that? And if by some miracle, Mary actually had lily white diapers on hand, they wouldn't have stayed lily white for long, would they? I've got a 16-month-old. They don't stay lily white for long. I know what happens because babies make a very real mess. Jesus cried. Mary probably cried. Joseph probably cried a little bit too. Jesus nursed. He played, he giggled, he discovered, he learned. There was a day when he would have taken his first steps because he was a baby. That's what real babies do. In other words, baby Jesus did not have a radioactive glow. He was not born with a halo. He wasn't born as an adult, and there was certainly no Santa Claus at the manger. He was a real to real parents during a very real time in human history. And yet, when the angels announced his birth on a Judean hillside to shepherds, they proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth, 
peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is what God's trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us that Jesus didn't come to give us some life pointers. He didn't come to live in an ivory tower and write spiritual books. He didn't come to establish a new moral code. He didn't come to prove that he was a prophet or a good teacher. He didn't come to be an example. He came to bring peace. He came to bring peace. He came to bring peace on earth, and he began his movement of peace on earth 2,000 years ago, and he will complete that movement when he returns as the king of peace. He came to bring peace in our hearts, to remove the fear and trepidation and shame that feels so chaotic. And most importantly, he came to bring us peace with God. In short, if you walk away with anything this Christmas Eve, I want you to walk away with this. A very real Jesus offers real peace in your real life. A very real Jesus offers real peace in your real life. Here's the deal. Christmas can be a blast for so many of us. It's going to be a blast for me, God willing. That's what I plan on. But for many of us, Christmas is simply a reminder of the crisis that you're facing right now. Perhaps the crisis you're facing is financial. Jesus understands. He was born into poverty, grew up a carpenter's son, and for his entire ministry was homeless. Perhaps you're facing the crisis of an unwanted pregnancy. You know Jesus was that baby. Perhaps you face oppression. Jesus was born into oppression. Perhaps you fled violence. Jesus, too, had to flee violence. Perhaps there's been no room for you at the places you should feel most welcome. Jesus gets it. He experienced that. That's what he was born into. Perhaps you're grieving the loss of a friend or family member. Jesus would grow and experience some of those same losses. He understands. Perhaps you're despairing of life. Jesus has been there. Perhaps you're lonely. Jesus felt that. On and on it goes. This is why God entered the real world in the form of his real son, Jesus, so that he could offer real peace in the midst of real life circumstances. This is why the birth narratives in the Gospels and the Scripture don't church it up for us. They don't make it cartoon. They don't polish it up for us. They offer us a real gritty story. They give us the straight goods because you and I live in reality and Jesus entered into our reality in order to bring us real peace. I want to close with this. Two kinds of people in the place. First, maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you call yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for just a couple of weeks. I've actually seen a couple faces tonight that have been followers of Jesus for just a couple weeks. Maybe you've been following Jesus for years. You've been a Christian for years. Regardless, here's what you need to take away. Jesus is your peace. He offers peace. Peace with God, peace in your heart. If you let him take control, peace with one another. Jesus came to bring peace. This is why we celebrate. For those of you who don't call yourself a Christian, maybe you came into this place because somebody drugged you here. Thank God for that person, by the way. Maybe you came to impress your mom and you actually put on a tie and a sweater. I've been that guy on Christmas Eve before. I'm that guy tonight because this is on video. I've got to impress my mom, so I get it. Like I, I get it. That's, that's great. That's, and I'm so glad you're here. Here's what I'm going to plead with you to do. 
I'm not gonna plead with you to like become a Christian tonight, okay? I'm not gonna plead with you to accept all the things the Bible teaches. I'm not gonna plead any of that. I'm just gonna plead with you to consider the claims of Christ. Just consider it. It's not gonna hurt you. It's not gonna ruin your Christmas. Come back with us. Join with us in worship, 10.30 this Sunday, 9.15 and 11, each and every Sunday throughout the year. Consider the claims of Christ, because can I tell you, by the word of God and by experience, listen to me, he holds peace in his hand for you and for me. That's why he came. God Almighty, the one and only living God, entered into this world in the form of a fragile, vulnerable baby a real baby, and grew to die a very real death, and he really rose from the dead, and he really lives again, and he really offers real peace. So just think about it. It's not going to hurt you. It'll make for a great Christmas, as a matter of fact, if you consider the reality of why we celebrate. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. God, thanks for those who have gathered tonight. Thanks for those who have come into this place to celebrate you, to celebrate the way that you entered into the world 2,000 years ago, to celebrate the fact that you died and rose again and that you live even now to offer peace. God, I pray peace over these people in this place. God, whether they follow you and know you, whether they don't even know that you exist or would deny that you exist, no matter who they are, God, I pray blessing and grace over them this Christmas season, that they would have a great time with family and gifts and food and celebrating, and then in the back of their hearts, lurking in their subconscious, would be that one word, peace. Where can I find it? In Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to celebrate this evening in the name of Christ, the people of God, together said, amen. After Jesus died and rose again, he appeared to witnesses and then he ascended into heaven and people started to meet to talk about him and talk about what he taught and celebrate him and remember him. Those people that started to meet are called the church. And when the early church would gather for worship, they did something to start each and every worship service. They always started by lighting a single candle. That candle would remind them that Jesus, the light of the world, was present with them in and through his Holy Spirit as they gathered for worship. And so the single candle that burned in the place would remind them that Jesus was with them. So tonight over on the piano, the Christ candle reminds us that Jesus, the light of the world, the peace that our hearts long for is present here with us too. So we're going to close our evening together with a song and a candle lighting. The ensemble is going to lead us in singing Silent Night and on the second verse when they sing, Son of God loves pure light. I'm going to light the candle from the Christ, my candle from the Christ candle, and then I'll light the candles of a few folks in the front row, and we'll pass that flame one to another until every candle in this place is lit. And so here's what we're doing. I want you to listen really closely. As the Christ candle becomes the source of light for each candle in this sanctuary, we remember that just as Christ has shined his light into our hearts, it's now our responsibility to shine his light into the world. Amen? Let's stand and sing together, and then I'll start our candle lighting. <laughs> 